You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Take a seat. What a powerful time of worship for us to be able to sing out those declarations, those prayers even, to be able to sing those things out. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Can you believe it? We're already to the last chapter of 1 Timothy. We've been going through this book of the Bible, and here we are at the last chapter kicking off a sermon series called Application Points, where Timothy is going to receive from Paul. Remember, Timothy is the pastor at the church of Ephesus, and Paul is giving him some instructions and encouragement. He's going to say, here's some application points. Here's some things that we're going to work out in your life and in the church as well. And what we're going to see with Paul today is he's going to speak to us about contentment, about being content. All of us struggle with being content. All of us struggle with with being in the right place of saying, Lord, I'm really content. And what contentment is, is being able to say, Lord, I'm grateful for how you've made me. I'm grateful for what you gave me. And I'm grateful for where you've placed me. And we end up a lot of times where we think, Lord, I wish you'd have made me different. I wish you'd have given me more. I wish you would have placed me someplace differently. And instead to be content to realize Jesus is enough. Now we're going to see that in just a few minutes. We're going to get through about verses one through five. We're going to go real fast through those. And then we're going to camp out in six through 10 in just a minute. But in thinking about contentment, I want to tell you this story. My cousin is my best friend. We were born about four months apart. And so we've grown up together. And so I had right after college, I got a sea-doo is what I had, one of those jet ski things. You sit on the bench and you just go. So my cousin and I went to the lake and we got on the sea-doo and we were so excited. It was a beautiful day. It was awesome. So I sat down and I was driving. He got behind me and he hugged me like this. We had our life jackets on and we spent the day just riding around. And by the end of the day, our faces are red, our hair is blown back. We're tired and we pull back into the little marina to be able to trailer up the sea-doo and take it home. And we see some people that we know. And they're pulling into the marina too. And so we look over and we wave at them and say, hey, how are you? And they look over and they wave, hey, how are y'all? And at that moment, it hit me. I'm on the sea-doo with my cousin hugging me, with my face sunburned, with my hair straight up, and they are in a ski nautique. Which if you don't know boats, that's like an awesome ski boat. And the two guys who've got their shades on and they look like they just came off of like a Soloflex commercial, like a... Peloton commercial, I mean, something, and the two girls are in the back, and they're like just out of a shampoo commercial, just hair waving, and I've got my cousin hugging me with my life jacket up to my shoulders, or off my shoulders up to the sides of my, and I waved, and at that moment, it was like, wah, 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 wah. I just felt so silly. I felt embarrassed. I felt like, you know, the cool kids are over here and me and my cousin are over here. And here we are. They got the nautique. We got the sea-doo. They got the shampoo commercial. I got my cousin. We got this whole thing. I mean, it's just like wah, 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 wah. And at that moment, I was like, I, I love that sea-doo. I love that time. I, we were so excited about going to the lake. And then it just felt just, ah. And my contentment went rock bottom down to the very bottom into the basement. And let me just submit to you this. There's always going to be a ski nautique that's going to pull up next to your sea dew. There's always going to be somebody prettier. There's always going to be somebody smarter. There's always going to be somebody richer. There's always going to be somebody more successful. There's going to be always somebody this, that, whatever it is, whatever game we're all playing, there's going to be somebody else that's going to pull up. And if you got the ski nautique, then you're going to pull up and somebody's going to have a yacht. And if somebody's got a yacht, then they're going to land on their helicopter on their yacht. I mean, it's just going to go on and on and on and on. 
And contentment seems to be slipping away from us over and over. But Paul says, I want you to get to a place where you say how God made me, what God gave me and where God placed me, I'm content. I'm good with that. I'm not only good with that, I'm grateful for that. Because many of us were living on fast forward. If I, if I could just find a spouse, fast forward. If I could just, now I got this spouse, if we could have kids. If we could have kids that could tie their shoes, that would be awesome. If we could have kids that would leave the house, that would be awesome. If we could have kids that come, come back to the house, that would be great. Now let's have our kids get married so that they can have more kids so that then we can have grandkids. And then some are living on the rewind button. Oh, I wish my kids were small. If I could just hold that baby again. My husband was still here on planet earth. And it seems like what God has given us and the place that God has placed us and how God has made us, we're always looking for something different and something extra, something a little bit more, something a little bit less. We don't want the sea do. We want the ski nautique. We don't want the ski nautique. We want the yacht. We don't want the yacht. We want the yacht with the helicopter. And it's always fleeting and it's always running from us. And what Paul is gonna say here, he's gonna get down to us to saying that Jesus is enough and we can actually be content. Now it's a journey, it's not a destination, but we can be content. Now to get us there, he's gonna take us on some kind of some interesting places and we're gonna hit those quick and then we're gonna jump into verse six. Now the first place that he's gonna talk about, he's gonna talk about slaves and their master. Now, as soon as we hear that as Americans, what do we think about? We think about 1863, but this is 63. It's a different deal. And I'll explain that to you in just a second. But let's look in chapter six, verses one and two, and see what we, we have here. Interesting passage, needs some explanation. Here we go. All of you who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Now, is Paul promoting slavery? Absolutely not. Let me tell you here how this plays out. Now, there's different historic eras of slavery. Let me explain a few of them to you and then tell you what Paul is talking about. Because when we hear that as Americans, we think of the 1800s, a terrible time in our society, a terrible sinful time in our nation and country and that we're all embarrassed about. It's a terrible deal, but that's not what he's talking about. Let's take one, would be one of kind of the, the first ones biblically, Hebrew servanthood. Hebrew servanthood. This is not when they're in the Egyptian ca captivity, but Hebrew servanthood. And what that was is that they were uh, in the Old Testament, and it was more of a hired servant or a worker more than a slave. And so it was a way to get out of poverty to be able to have these, these jobs. Then you get to Roman slavery a little bit further along in history. In the Roman Empire, which is what this is talking about in the time periods there, 30% of the Roman Empire was slaves. 50 to 60 million people were in slavery. Now, some of them were teachers and some of them were laborers. So it's a different thing. And I'm not saying it was good. I'm just telling you, there was different vocational uh, up and down the ladder, if you will. And it was for many a route to get Roman citizenship, which was a huge deal to become a Roman citizen. Some of them were captured in wars that they had conquered these people, brought them back and made them their slaves. Some were released when they were about 30 years old. They would be released from that slavery and then they would maybe become Roman citizens. So that's what he's talking about here. 
And he's speaking to Roman citizens and Roman slaves and Romans uh, in the Roman Empire that's, that's here that he's speaking to. Now, here's what's really cool about this passage of Scripture. Did you get it? Did you get behind the lines or between the lines of this? The slaves and the slave masters are sitting in church together, that there's an equality between the people of God. And even when you see in the 1800s of the American slavery, which I'll get to in a second, you will see that the abolitionists were believers in Christ. And so they knew that that was wrong and that was not the right thing. And so here, I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying these folks are in church together and, wrong, and uh, Paul is declaring and saying to them, you need the teaching of the Lord. Then there was the indentured servitude. Indentured servitude, that's the indentured servants. When you would have colonial America, about 50% to 75% of those who came over to colonial America, they were indentured servants. They were white Anglo uh, European immigrants. And they came over in their indentured servitude was to pay the bill that they owed for their transport to get there. So at some point they were gonna pay that off and they were gonna be done. So that was about 50 to 75% of our country of white European immigrants that were indentured servants of that time. Then we get to what we would know when we think of slavery as Americans of the African slave trade. It was racially based. What Paul's talking about here was not racially based. It was racially based. It was abusive. It was kidnapping. It was sin. It was wrong. It's an embarrassment to all of us as Americans. And we know that. We understand that. But that was a different thing than what Paul is talking about here. And now in today's world, do you know that there's 27 million slaves today on planet Earth? There's more people in slavery today than there has been in all of human history. Right When we live right now, there's more slaves now than all of human history. There's sex trafficking, there's human trafficking. We as a church are part of the uh, Church Freedom Alliance that we're able to stand against human trafficking, other ministries that we help to support, people in our church involved in that. So we're not tolerating it, we're not standing for it. We see it as a terrible thing as well. So he comes through these first two verses and speaking about Roman slavery, and he says, you guys and gals are all in the same church, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that God can use you no matter where you are at this time right now. Now let's take that from slavery and let's move it into work for us. You have a job, I have a job. How do we find contentment in our jobs? Here's the first thing. Let your work become your worship. Let your work become your worship. Do you know in the Old Testament, the word for work and one of the words for worship are actually the same word? Psalm chapter uh, 104 of Psalms says this, therefore, as a man goes out to work, that's the Hebrew word, to his labor until the evening, then Exodus 8.1, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Work and worship are the same word. So we want to be able to, with our work, to say, Lord, I worship you. You've placed me, you've made me, you've given me this job, and I want it to be to you. It's not just to make a paycheck, it's for me to have a platform to make a difference. And so I wanna worship you with my work. And so Paul says the first thing with contentment is to understand that there's worship with our work, that the drudgery can become divine when our work becomes our worship. Then he gets to the second thing and it's found in verses three through five. And he's gonna go after for the third time in the book of First Timothy uh, after false teachers. See if you can pick it up in verses three through five. If anyone teaches false doctrine, and does not agree with the sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godless, godliness, 
He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. For these come in, from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness, here's the key, here's the ending, that godliness is a way to material gain. So Paul's point is this, I want you to walk in truth. I want you to walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. And walking in the truth will realize that godliness is not so that you can get rich. These folks were coming out of false teaching in the temple of Diana in the town of Ephesus. And it was a goddess, a false goddess, and they were worshiping her. And so they were trying to move that over into the Christian church. And he said, no, this isn't a way that you're gonna get rich. And we have in today's society, it's what's called the prosperity gospel. It's health and wealth. It's basically saying this, hey, if you give God $10, he'll give you $100. You give God $100, he'll give you $1,000. You give God $1,000, you'll get $10,000 back. Let me just tell you what, you give God $10, he may ask for $100. You give $100, he might say, hey, I'd like that other thousand. He might say, Mr. Rich Young, ruler, sell all that you have and trust in me and give it to the poor and then come back to me. So we, it's not this investment game that we're playing with God. The investment with God is not for the earth. The investment with God is for eternity. We give here so that we have eternal rewards there. Do you see it? Not we give here as some type of investment program so we can have uh, material rewards here. Now, can God bless you? Yes. Does God bless giving? Of course he does. But is that the reason why we do these things? No. Is God obligated to be our money machine? Absolutely not. And these folks had false teaching that this was a means of material gain. And what happened is this, is their words were dividing, divisive, and they were also deceiving. So our words, when we follow false teaching, our words divide and our mind is deceived. Our words divide and our mind is deceived. So we wanna follow the true teaching of saying, Lord, we trust in you. So Paul's gonna say, now, how then do we find contentment? Well, we know we gotta worship with our work. We understand that. We also can look and we can say, Lord, we want true teaching that the more truth of Jesus we have in us, the more content we're gonna be in our life. We're not using God, we're asking God to use us. We're not trying to put God in a corner. We're realizing that through Jesus, he's given us ultimate freedom and we wanna worship him. And then he's gonna get to the part where we're gonna land. Here we go, verse six, look at verse six. He's gonna use a big conjunction here. He's gonna like make a statement, a mic drop type of thing. But, all this stuff, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Stop there for just a second. That Greek word of great is megas. It means mega. Godliness with contentment is mega gain. It means in Greek also, it means loud, great, loud. Let me put it in American. Here it is. But godliness with contentment is Costco gain is what it is. It's not one roll of toilet paper. It's 60 rolls of toilet paper. It's not one chicken nugget. It's 120 chicken nuggets. It is bring a pallet that rolls so you can go out with all your stuff. This is Costco megas gain that you can have in your life when you have godliness and contentment combined. For we brought nothing into the world, verse seven, and we could take nothing out. If we have food and clothing with this, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into a trap, and excuse me, into temptation, a trap with many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, 
Some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's what he's saying. Let me put it as simple as we possibly can. Jesus is our greatest treasure. Jesus is our greatest treasure. He says, if godliness and contentment, then you're going to have great gain. If you have greed in there, if you have ungodliness in there, it's obviously the reverse would be it's not of great gain. Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is the one that we're after. You can have no job and have Jesus and be content. You can have a job and not have Jesus and be discontent. Jesus is the greatest treasure that we can have because what contentment is, is it's a thing from the soul and from the soul it then births into our lives. And so he says, I want you to get down to the soul and to realize that godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out. Think about the value of a human. Nothing into the world. You didn't bring anything into the world, you're not gonna take anything out of the world. Previous service, an older lady came up and she said, we need to clean out our houses because basically our kids don't want all this stuff. They're gonna walk into this house and walk out with a box is what they're gonna walk out with. And so we've got all this stuff and he's saying, I want you to know that godliness with contentment is great gain. And you brought nothing in and you're gonna take nothing out. Jerry Seinfeld just did a bit on uh, The Tonight Show and he talked about that our homes are basically garbage processing centers. That's what he says. We bring things in so that we can throw things out. So he says this, we buy something brand new, we get something brand new, we put it in a visible place in our house and we go, wow, look how beautiful. We're so proud of ourselves because we got this thing in a visible place that we're watching, we're seeing, we're wearing, we're doing whatever. And then finally it ends up, uh, after a little while, it ends up in a closet or in a drawer. That's where you put the visible things after you're kind of done with them. And then they move from the closet and the drawer out to the garage. He said, nothing ever comes from the garage back into the house. Garage and garbage sound a lot alike is what he says. And it's just a garbage processing center of what we're doing. And that's what Paul's saying here. You came in with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing. But contentment's going to come with great gain when it has godliness in it. And we as Christians, we believe in life from inception to death. And even more than that, you know what? We actually believe in eternal life. We're so life, we believe in eternal life. And to be able to say there's a value, hear this, there's a value, not of your stuff, not of your accomplishments, not of your trophies. There's a value. When you got here on planet earth, you are as valuable as when you exit planet earth. And it's got nothing to do with anything that you or I got. Contentment, it's running from us and we're chasing it. And we're not ever getting it because what we need to chase is Jesus. And then the contentment comes. You got a sea-doo, you're going to want a nautique. You got a nautique, you're going to want a yacht. You got a yacht, you're going to want the helicopter. On and on it goes. You got, some people don't even have a lake. And so here it is, on and on and on, and we chase it, and we chase it, and we chase it. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? And are you ever going to get it? It's like chasing a greased pig at a county fair. You're never going to get it. Watch this video as an example. <laughs> They had it, didn't they? The group had it. And then somehow it slipped away. J.D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And he answered, a dollar more. A dollar more. 
What have you been chasing for 50 years? 60 years. We all know the feeling of discontentment. We understand that. We live in that often. But do you know what contentment is in Christ? That you're grateful, that you're thankful for how God made you, what God gave you, and where God placed you. And it's all to Him and it's His glory. And it's just a platform for you to be able to give Him glory. It's not your car, it's His car. It's not your house, it's His house. It's not His sea do, it's, or your sea do, it's His sea do. It's God's stuff. And so we say, God, you use it all as you wish. You do what you want to with it. It's so elusive when we don't really seek after Jesus. And then when you get Jesus, then he can add other things to you. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. And find that commitment that Jesus is the greatest treasure. See what contentment is, is being satisfied with how God made you, what God gave you, and where God's placed you so that you can walk in his will and honor him with all of those things. Now, what contentment is not, let me tell you what contentment is not, just for the type A's particular in the room. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment, contentment is not settling. Paul was a very aggressive, go for it kind of guy. They say that you're gonna know Paul in heaven because his nose is gonna be flat from all of the closed doors he slammed into. He was always on the move. Paul was always planting a church. It was either revival or riot when Paul showed up. This guy was a make it happen kind of guy. In the gospels, it says, the gospel of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. Have vision, have direction, have decisions, go for it. And you fulfill God's plan for the furthest you can possibly fulfill it. And I hope that you see the most beautiful places in the world, taste the best food in the world, get to do the neatest things in the world. But guess what? That is a greased pig. When you get Jesus, you don't have to chase anything because you find this. You're not chasing Jesus, Jesus chased you. And he got you in salvation if you trusted his death on the cross for your salvation. And Jesus now lives inside of you. He's given you eternal life. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the power of God, everything for life and godliness. He knows how he made you. He knows what he's given you. He knows where he's, you, where he's placed you. He knows all those things because he got you. You don't have to chase him. He chased you and you just receive him. And you'll find that you got enough and Jesus is enough. And you know what? You don't need leather interior on top of that. You got it? Fine, so do I. But let the Lord do his work in you. That's where true contentment has. Paul says, if we brought nothing into this world, we're gonna take nothing out of this world and we're gonna trust the Lord with everything that he has and the gospel is the truth. That's what makes the difference is the gospel. Paul learned to be content with every circumstance, but yet in 2 Corinthians, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was thrown into the sea for a night. He was had all sorts of people come against him. It was a big time issues in Paul's life. Yet in Philippians, he says, I'm content in every circumstance. Are you content? Are you content? Am I content? Or are we chasing after something that we just need to say, Jesus, you do your work in us do your work in us. He says something in verse eight that's, I think, staggering. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Now, that's a big statement. If you have just food and clothing, you can be content. If your basic needs are met, 
you can be content. And we know in Houston, we need a car, we need air conditioning, we need all these other things, we get it, but we really only need Jesus. If you go home today and your house is half the size and you still got Jesus, you're gonna be fine. If you go home today and your stuff is half as much, you're gonna be fine if you got Jesus. If you go home today and all the brand names fall off all your clothes, you're gonna be just fine if you got Jesus. If you lose your job, if you lose a loved one, and you got Jesus, it's gonna hurt, but he's gonna take care of you because the satisfaction and the contentment is gonna come through Jesus Christ. And here's how Paul's gonna give it to us. He's gonna give us two things and then we're gonna wrap up two points. One is this, it's found in verse nine. Here's what it says. Let me just give you the point actually. Have a gospel perspective, not a greedy perspective. Have a gospel perspective, not a greedy perspective. That the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for your sins, rose again from the grave, and you can receive him as savior. He can live inside your heart and he can place you where he wants to place you. He can give you what he wants to give you. He's made you like he's made you. And God can do all those things in you. His gospel perspective of the good news that God loves you is better than a greedy perspective. Now, some folks, they run off and they seek, if I have more and more stuff, then that'll make me happy. And some folks run away and they say, if I have a, a simplistic and I'm minimalistic and I don't have any stuff, then that'll make me happy. And Paul is saying, it's not either. It's not about your abundance or your lack. It's about your salvation in Christ to have a gospel perspective. Now look at verse nine. He's gonna give us the greedy perspective. Here we go, verse nine and 10, our last two verses. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish, harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Hear that verse again. And, a, and I'm asking you, which one of these things, what do you want? Which one of these do you want in your life? But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. You want that? A trap. You want that? Many foolish and harmful desires. I don't want that. And they plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The end of verse nine, it says, people are plunged into ruin and destruction. You know, every three months, four months, six months, whatever the time frame is, you're gonna turn on the news and you're gonna see somebody plunged into ruin and destruction because of greed. Right now, it's the cryptocurrency guy. That's the one right now. He's the one for today. There'll be another embezzlement after the new year. Then there'll be another one in the summer and then there'll be somebody else over here. We'll see somebody shoot somebody and kill somebody over what? I mean, you'll just, you'll see this play out over and over and over and over again. And we don't want that to play out in our lives. We don't want anything like that. We want to listen to the Messiah, not the marketers. We want to listen to the Bible, not the TV, to realize that we want not to seek and to crave after all of those things and all of those temptations that are there. You don't need a helicopter, okay? That's a big one too, I don't know. Rich, rich, rich person coming over. But to be able to say, Lord, we want you more than anything. Here's the point. A shifting focus overcomes shifting circumstances. A shifting focus overcomes shifting circumstances. If you get your focus on Christ, your circumstances can shift all over the place and you're still gonna keep your focus on Christ. And that's one of the ways you can identify the prosperity gospel. Can that sermon be preached in the most impoverished places of the world? 
Now, maybe not the illustrations. If I was preaching the same message, I could preach the same message in the poorest parts of the world. I wouldn't use a sea-do and a ski nautique, but I could still talk about contentment and to be able to do that. And so he's saying here, don't let your focus get shifted because your circumstances are going to shift all the time. And here's what I found in my life, just giving my heart to you, in contentment. I have tried to find contentment through comparison. And it doesn't work. It works a little bit. Here's how it works. I look at somebody and I say, well, I got more than they got. And that gives me about 25% of contentment. But then as soon as I do that, I see somebody that's got more than I got, and then it takes it away. There are some people you need to quit following on your Instagram. They're bad for you to follow. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying it creates in you a jealousy and an insecurity that is not of the Lord, and you just need to unfollow. God bless them and all their successes, but you need to unfollow because it just, it's just gonna mess with you. So if you compare and you say, well, well, I got a sea-do and, and some people don't even have a lake. Ah, well, that's great until the nautique pulls up and then it's all over with. I remember growing up, my mom would always feed me vegetables, you know, as a good mom would. And so I would sometimes end up with peas on my plate. I don't like peas. I don't like them to this day. If you're a peas person, then awesome. You just eat those peas up. I don't like those peas. I've tried to hide them in mashed potatoes. I've tried to spit them in my napkin. I've tried to put them underneath the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the steak over here or the whatever, you know, the other things on the side. But I don't like peas, but I would end up with peas. And then my mom would say what every good mom would say. And if it's not a good mom, your grandmother said this, they would say this, see if you can fill in the blank. Don't you know that there are children starving in the world? Eat your peas. And I could never figure out the direct correlation between my peas and the starving child. <laughs> Unless we're putting these peas in an envelope and mailing them to those kids, it doesn't matter if I eat my peas on my plate. Let's buy them a can of peas and give it to the local mission and keep them out of the house altogether, right? But I, I felt like at that moment, I'm supposed to all of a sudden be so grateful for whatever's in front of me. And I don't know that it's gonna make you grateful to the soul. It can help a little. We are blessed. You know, if you make $25,000 or more a year, you're in the wealthiest 10% of the world. So when he talks about talking to rich people, it's all of us, all of us. Two billion people live on $2 or less a day. Now, my point that makes you feel good now is not, you're not gonna remember that in an hour, it doesn't matter. Your contentment has gotta be from the soul. From the soul. Therefore, our love of God's presence is greater than our love of money. Our love of God's presence, we're landing the plane, is greater than our love of money. Did you hear verse 10? For the love of money, does it say money? The love of money, that Greek word means first in rank. So let me read it like this. For ranking money first is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, yearning for it, thirsting for it, some have even walked away from the faith. We're talking about eternal stuff. And pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the deal, love the presence of God more than anything else on planet earth. Love the presence of God. He lives in your heart through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit more than anything else on earth. 
And I hope you go on great vacations and I hope you eat wonderful food and I hope you have great clothes and I hope you have a wonderful car and I hope you enjoy watching TV this afternoon. I hope all those things, we're all gonna do a lot of that. But that's not the first ranking thing. If you want contentment to the soul. I love how this Dominican pastor uh, put it, uh, 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 French, let me find my little notes here. Um, Where is it? Here it is. A French Dominican preacher said this, for my part, humanly speaking, I wish for nothing. Hear this, this is a blow me away sentence. A great soul in a small house is the idea that has touched me more than any other. A great soul in a small house touched him more than any other. Now, you can have a great soul in a big house but don't have a little soul in any house because that house is never going to get big enough or nice enough to offset your little soul. But you get a great soul for Jesus and realize the presence of God in your life and my life. And that great soul will take you through the fire and will take you through the blessings and will take you through every rewind button you want to press and every fast forward buttons you want to press and everything you feel a little silly on your sea being hugged by your cousin. And every time you get a little prideful of your shampoo commercial moment and the next yacht pulls up. Our contentment is a direction and a disposition more than a destination. Our contentment is a direction. Lord, I'm moving towards godliness and contentment. I'm thankful for how you made me. I'm thankful for what you gave me. I'm thankful for where you placed me. It's all yours. It's a direction, but it's also a disposition because gratitude and contentment are close cousins. And Lord, I'm gonna work hard and maybe my business will grow and maybe I'll have more, maybe we'll do all that. That's great, but it's not gonna be the first thing that I do. I remember, I'm just gonna bear my heart with you. I was doing college ministry and we would have all these students show up at the beginning of the year and then at finals, it'd be like, nobody's there. And I'd be so discouraged. I'd wonder, well, what what message was it that wasn't a good message throughout that semester that made it go from here and just tanking down to here? And I remember Kelly, Kelly telling me this. She said, why don't you tonight preach to the full seats instead of the empty ones? Don't worry about the empty seats. You just preach your guts out to the full seats. It's just how college ministry goes, right? Starts up here at the beginning of the year and then finals, everybody's kind of freaked out. It's just how it goes. My contentment at that moment was based upon ministry growth. And that time I said, no, Lord, I'm gonna set my heart on fire for you. I'm gonna be faithful to what you do and you take care of everything else. I'll get 40 plus a week, but I'm not gonna base my self-worth on how well the message went. Because if I come into the world with nothing and I go out the world with nothing, it really doesn't matter what happened in here. I'm valuable to God and now I'm content with what he's given me, how he's made me and where he's placed me. And from that place of security, then you step out into the world. Do you see the difference? What greased pig are you chasing? How long have you been chasing it? At the bottom of your listing guide, I gave you three application points and we're gonna wrap up. Our series is called Application Points. Make this your day today, do this. List and tell someone three blessings you have in Christ. Just three things. What what has Jesus done for you? You just go, you know, I'm so grateful for that. That brings contentment in my life. 
Number two, list three ways you're pulled away from contentment. What is it? What is it that, that pulls you away? Who, do you, who are you around? What do you see? What, what's the challenge? What's the nautique to your sea do? Number three, and finally, how can you surrender and combat these areas and find contentment in Jesus? What can God do in your life with that? Contentment is found in Jesus when we honor God with how he's made us, where he's placed us, and what he's gave us. So let me ask you this and we'll close. How he's made you. Ladies, are you ever going to be the most beautiful woman on planet Earth? Are you going to win this game? Now, I'm not going to answer that for you because I don't want you to be mad at me. I think you're going to be the most beautiful woman on planet Earth. Guys, you're going to be the Soloflex guy for all your years? No, you're not. How God's made us, we say, Lord, I give it to you. I'm grateful. What God's given you. Somebody's got more. Somebody's got less. Comparison's not going to do it. Jesus is enough. Where God's placed you. He's put you in a place to minister, to make a difference, and to see your work as your worship. You worry about the full seats and let God take care of the empty seats. And he'll do what he wants to do. And with those three things how he's made us, what he's gave us, what he gave us, and where he's placed us. To me, for me, that stops me from chasing the greased pig. And I can enjoy a day with my best friend, cousin on a sea-do and be grateful for it because I want to honor God with my life. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. You are incredible. You are wonderful. You're more than enough, Lord. You have blessed all of us tremendously, far more than we ever thought. To live in this nation, to be in this city, to be of the richest 10% of people in the world. And many of us are far richer than that. But Lord, we don't come with comparison. We don't come with material stuff. We're just living in a garbage processing plant. We come saying Jesus Christ is enough because it's got to go to our soul. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's the gospel. That's the good news. He died on the cross for you so that you could receive him as Savior. You can walk in forgiveness and true life with him, abundant life. Would you just pray right now? Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, save my soul. Live in my life, my heart. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your forgiveness and Savior, then you will have eternal life in him. If you're a believer in Christ and you're like me, you just get a little distracted sometimes on where life is truly found. Would you just say to the Lord, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're enough. Of how you made me, over how you placed me, over what you gave me. Jesus, you're enough.
Don't need a fast forward button. Don't need a rewind button. You're enough. Right now in this moment. I want to walk content in godliness for great gain in you. We love you, Lord. Put us on this journey. Let us walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.